Gary Hoffman. Yeah. Feather, baby. Shannon Farron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Jaguars, baby. What? Jaguars. Really? Yeah. Um, hey. No, hey. Gangsta, by the way. Gangsta. Dangerous Minds goes back in time to become a 1667 John Milton classic. What is Gangster's Paradise Lost? Ah, yeah! Yes. No. No, Alex. Sorry. Gangsta. You got to say gangsta. Our judges have reevaluated one of your responses a few moments ago, Nick. You said gangsters Ooh. instead mm. of gangstas. Yeah. Song so by gangsta. Coolio. So we song take 3,200 away from you. So you are now in second place. Lisa, you have the lead. Oh, sorry. Alex. 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 So 1995 hip. Oh. Deanna brings up a good point on Facebook at Gary and Shannon. She yeah. says, I want you to stop calling these people parents. Yeah, and I, I agree that. with her completely. This is a uh, this is a strange uh, discussion that I think that people with kids uh, – well, no, that doesn't have to be people with kids. That anybody has had about what you what you call the Turpins now, David and Louise. They call the ones, them monsters. They're accused of keeping their 13 kids in just absolutely deplorable conditions for the last several years. And as we now know, this has been going on for dec- – I mean we assumed it had been going on for decades. Now we know it. Because there are people who knew these kids when they were much younger and had befriended them to a certain degree and had said that even then they were weird and were reluctant to tell adults their names and wouldn't invite friends over and just didn't interact the way normal kids did. We will get to those stories of their former friends that are now speaking out and what the the hours leading up to the arrest look like for this family. But right now, Chris Carlo joins us. He's been on this from the beginning. Chris, uh, give us a refresher course on what we've learned. Well, it's just over the last 24 hours that a lot of the new details have come to light, specifically highlighting and, I guess, accentuating the abuse. So we learned, of course, that it started a long time ago, as you said, Gary. Uh, it started with uh, them just being tied up with rope and then being hogtied. Uh, and then as some of the kids would escape that, uh, I guess, mechanism of detainment, they would then be chained up and padlocked uh, as part of their punishment for doing anything wrong. And the punishment was really for all sorts of silly stuff. For example, uh, the kids would be punished if they washed their hands and they got maybe their arms wet instead of just their hands. Their, their parents would accuse them of playing with the water, and at that point they would uh, meet out the punishment. Often when they were chained up to these... Uh, you know, whatever furniture with padlocks and, and chains, they would not be allowed to use the restroom. And so they would just go wherever they were. That was uh, the smell that was noticed by police as they walked in. Also, they were only taking a shower or two a year. So you can imagine also that you've got 13 kids in there that uh, probably don't smell um really well and in a confined space uh, that adds to these conditions that you go all the way back to day one and that initial press release that was put out by the Riverside County Sheriff's Department and and you remember they they used that language of of shocked by what they saw Um, and that language again I think 
upped a bit more by Mike Hestron, the district attorney in Riverside County yesterday, when he called it uh, depravity, human depravity. You know, the question was asked, this sort of case, does this stick with you? He says, yeah, these sorts of cases stick with us anytime you're dealing with this sort of human depravity. And he went back to that point a couple times yesterday as we uh, as we discussed ad nauseum the details of uh, of this case so far. And there's still so much that has yet to come out. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, back in the day you play Legend of Zelda and all the maps are blacked out and as you start walking your way through it, you know, things are illuminated, but you find yourself in the midst of this labyrinth. And I think that's where we're at right now. Bit by bit, we're feeling our way through the darkness. You know what I And miss? sometimes we come up to a dead end. I miss spending my Sundays with you, Chris and Carlo, because you come up with the best analogies that are so off the reservation in a good way. And now I'm going to get in trouble for saying off the reservation. They're, uh, they, they are, uh, they're just they're great. They're great. That is, by the way, the uh, first well, Legend of Zelda reference in the history of the show. Right. So, Mark so that congratulations. down. Mm-hmm. I am uh, I'm glad that I can make history with you guys. <laughs> hey, how did um, court go yesterday? Uh, I wish it was a better story. Yeah. How did the uh, court appearance go? Well, you know, the court appearance, as uh, as these things go, very quick. Um, it, it, here's what was unusual about it. When the media was allowed in, they were already seated, right? Uh, usually they'll, they'll at least walk in and sit down. Um, and also, by the time everything was said and done, they escorted the media out before uh, David and Louise Turpin were able to get up and walk out. So you, you miss that little element of body language. And so much about you know arraignments is all about body language. You don't really hear a lot from uh, the people that are appearing before court. And so in this case, you know, it's just one or two words. How did they look? Um, well, they weren't in prison clothes. They were wearing uh, suit jackets and normal civilian clothes. Uh, they were, you know, some people have described David as, as looking dazed. It's tough for me to say that. I was sitting right behind him, so I was staring at the back of his head. But going back and looking at the, the footage from during the arraignment, I don't know if he looked uh, so much as dazed as in just there, right? And it wasn't as though there was nobody at home. You know, it wasn't an empty gaze coming out of his eyes, but he was just there. And same with Louise. And, and I... For me, that way, I found that even more disturbing. There was no display of emotion, either uh, anger or you know sadness or whatever. Um, there was nothing, and there was also nothing. You know, even on if you're looking on the crazy spectrum a little bit, like there was no kind of laughter, or there was no giggle or no smirk. I mean, it was just blank. And um, you know, it's tough in these cases. You, you often end up having to kind of like read between the the uh, the eyes here, behind their eyes, and. It's tough to, to figure out what's going through their head, no doubt. Uh, by the way, both uh, represented by public defenders, which may indicate their economic situation. Um, and they're uh, they're in the middle of kind of sorting out the public defender situation for Louise because obviously they can't both be represented by the same public defender should one you know, decide to testify against the other or something like that. Right. They'll probably have a court-appointed attorney from the panel that they use when there's a conflict. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Have we ever, conflict panel. The, the, the DA yesterday referred to there was some amount of income. Do we know what, what Dad was doing um, job-wise recently? Not, not really recently. Of course, uh, he had been an engineer, uh, we believe, with uh, various defense contractors. And that was another question I really wanted to get to. And um, it's you guys know this. You've been in crazy news conferences. This one was, I mean, at the apex of crazy news conferences I've been in. But uh, one, there are a couple questions I wanted to ask. One is, did he ever have a uh, clearance? Because if you're working as an engineer for a contractor, there's always a good possibility that you get a security clearance at some level. And that 
opens up all sorts of other doors for conversation. Uh, two was the around the cell phone. How did the girl get the cell phone? How did the girl know how to use the cell phone? Did the pictures that she showed the deputies were those on the cell phone? And we still have yet to get to the bottom of that. How did she even know how to call 911? You know, one of the things we heard is that a lot of these kids did not even know what police officers were. And we also heard that they, you know, for example, the 17-year-old that escaped, she didn't even know what medication was when she uh, when she went in there. So all of these things kind of coming together, um, again, we're feeling our way through the darkness here and, and trying to really understand what lies behind the next corner. And this is a puzzle unlike really any I've seen. Um, another angle I'm chasing down today is whether or not this will lead to some sort of reform when it comes to homeschooling. And, you know, one little thing I've unearthed in, in working on this, California tried to institute some form of homeschooling reform. Um, I guess it was back in 2008. And there's a national lobby for homeschoolers. Um, and they pushed hard against California being able to do this. California tried again, and that national lobby pushed hard again against any sort of regulation that would, at the very least, just require a state visit or a doctor's visit once a year. And so I want to get to the bottom of, of that lobbying effort and know if we will see some sort of reform in the pipeline. So far, we've heard two uh, assembly members say that they want to bring up legislation to that effect. And uh, you know, hopefully this is going to be the tipping point. Chris and Carlo, great work as always. Appreciate your time. Yeah, of course, guys. Well, it looks like, or it sounds like, I guess I should say, that the day before they were arrested, these monsters told friends they were getting ready to leave town. They may have caught this mess of a family right in time. Well, and my mind immediately jumped to some sort of a weird suicide pact with all of them. That's what my, only because, I mean, up until this point, we would say, oh, that's not possible. You can't have 13 kids in one house, or you can't have 13 kids in one house and the neighbors not know it, or you can't have 13 kids in one house and some of them chained to beds. That would never happen. So there's nothing that's up to this point that's been out of the realm of possibility. So why wouldn't have it been some sort of a weird a, just a a giant murder suicide plot on their behalf. I mean, they're cra- they're crazy. We're not putting anything out of their uh, universe. Okay, they're crazy. It seems that they told people that they were in contact with, and again, I, I don't know through what if it was a neighbor, if, I, if somebody at the market. I don't know. Uh, but this person spoke to reporters and said, "I saw them about seven or eight p.m. on Saturday." They said they needed to say goodbye because they were getting ready to leave town. They didn't say where or when they were going. She or he says, I couldn't believe it when I saw their pictures on the TV two nights later. Uh, There was no listing, active listing, for this four-bedroom house on real estate websites. There was no for sale sign uh, there. It's no secret that they had been battling debt for years. They took off from Texas because the banks repossessed their homes over outstanding payments. And, oh, my goodness, did you see the pictures from their Texas home after they left? I, I, disgusting. I, I stand by my description of the carpet yes. looking like it belonged in a Civil War hospital, if even though they didn't have carpets is... in Civil War hospitals. If they did, that's what it would have looked perfect, like. Perfect, perfect. The, um, the thing is that if they... Okay, so we know the 17-year-old, according to the DA, had been planning this, at least with one other sibling, for a couple of years, planning the escape, getting out. 
And I wonder if there was pressure put upon, like, why the timing? If the, the, Because the timing is weird. If she got out Sunday morning and mom and dad had been telling friends, hey, we're going to have to say goodbye soon, like, really soon. Now was the time. What did they tell the kids? They did probably they, told them that we're leaving town or we're going to be with God. I don't we're know. We're going to shuffle off this mortal coil yeah. and we're going to find a new place to live. The, the the story that I think is the most interesting to me that I've read about this is this former family friend, this former childhood friend of some of the Turpin kids who talked to a, a newspaper out of Britain. Uh, her name is Ashley Vineyard. She's 25 now. She said she lived across the street from them when they were living in their home in Texas in a, a town called Rio Vista, just outside of, I think it's uh, Fort Worth. And she says that she was 10 years old. When she met the Turpin kids, she was friends with three of them, Jennifer, Josh, and Jessica. Warning sign, by the way, when you name your kids all of the same letter. I mean, that alone is not enough to cause. Well, I'm looking at you, Blake. I think people do that no. a lot. <laughs> so I think you just offended many, many families. Blake, what's uh, what's what's the B in your uh, in your brother's name? Brent, Brittany, and Blake. That's the three of us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Money, money's, but, but, money's kids. All three are peas. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that, and now everyone hates you. So just say sorry, and we'll move on. Do you ever feel like you wanted to be an individual, like you wanted to be the penguin in the in the? I'm the only one that starts with a way. BL. The Did other it, two are BR, so. Don't you feel there. like you're part of a fabric yeah, you, of a yeah. family? Yeah. You could have been a Brian. Or when a, I was a little kid, I made Brent. up like a whole rap that I was going to use as our home voicemail, but... uh my parents nixed that idea. It was okay, because, me, it was based on the three Bs. Okay, three kids. Three Money's kids got is, three girls. Right, but right? 13 is too many. Is that what you're trying to say, maybe? Yeah, I would say there's a, like, naming your kids' names with the same first letter is okay up to the first half dozen. What about this one? I know a, a family in town, they had 13 kids, or 12 kids. I think that's what we're talking 12 about 12 kids. Uh, or somebody else? Mormon family. Okay. They went in order of the alphabet. First kid started with an A. That's fun. It's very Sue Grafton. That's also very individualistic, right? Uh, Each kid gets their own identity. Like that. Um, I'm looking at you, Duggars. That's there's like a limit. Like the first six, you get you get to name with the one letter. After that, let's mix it up a little bit. I don't think you get to tell people what to do with their children. Just saying, if you want to avoid. You want to avoid Some radio scrutiny. guy scrutinizing your name choices. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want me to pass judgment on you, then uh, stop at six and uh, roll the dice and pick another a new letter. Okay, so Jennifer's the oldest one. She's the one who's 29, who's 82 pounds. Yes. So Ashley says that she was friends with Jennifer, Josh, and Jessica, and that they were friends for several months. They were all about the same age at the time. Before we get to Ashley's story, mm-hmm. we do have this pile of stuff that we have to give away. Maybe it'll make people feel better if you have all of these, I don't know, kids with the same name. Maybe you win $1,000. Here's how. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. All right. By the way, you have to answer the phone. Uh, if you win, they will call you, and they will refer to you by your name, I assume, the one that starts with the same letter as your brothers and sisters. But if they say the IRS, hang up. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't win, there's another <laughs> chance next hour. We're doing this all next week as well. Every hour on the 20 will give you a way to win 1000 bucks. All right. 
Ashley's story. Ashley's the one who was friends with the Turpin kids. She's 25 now. so Way back in Texas. All about the same age. All right. She says, the first time I noticed them, the kids, the three kids, they were walking up and down the street, the three of them. Josh had a stick in his hand and was poking at rocks on the ground. I'm going to pull the car over for a second. Name uh, one of your childhood friends. Steve. Steve. Stephen Hayden. Do you remember the first time you saw Steve? Probably second grade, I guess. Do you remember what he was doing? Going to school? Right. You don't remember? I don't remember him having a stick in his hand. That's just a very odd detail to remember. But anyway. Maybe he was approaching the sticks in a very odd manner. I mean, you can't put that past him, right? All right. They lived in this home, uh, 2,300 square feet, 36 acres. They lived in it from 1999 to 2010 before they moved to California. The, um, she says the kids were well, were well-mannered. Yes. But very protective. Refused to talk about their home life. She said she rarely ever went to the Turpin house. And if she did, she would only get as far as the dining room and the kitchen area. Uh, but that she was over there. She began talking to them. They started playing together. We lived out in the country. I was excited to have a group of kids to play with. We mostly played in the front and the backyard. We never played in the house. We played in the creek that runs by their house, catching frogs and minnows and throwing rocks, normal kid stuff, running around, just being crazy and having fun. They didn't talk about their parents or family like a lot of other kids do. He says, every time I innocently asked them about their parents, they sort of shut down. She met the parents. Ashley did. She said, I only met them a few times. The mother always dressed modestly. The father had an intimidating presence but was quiet. Never said anything. There was a couple of uh, uh, things that she says now, which at the time when you're 10 years old probably didn't register or didn't necessarily mean anything but she said if you went into the house you'd had to go through the back door she said i remember there were animal cages and newspapers strewn about the floor piles with feces on it they had dogs cats and goats and she says even though the house smelled of poop at the time i didn't really think anything of it can remember, i pull the car over she's in texas and they're out in the country can i pull the car over so poop is a, is a smell you're yes. gonna remember that right, i what, mean that's that's odd even if you're 10 years old You go into your neighbor's house and there's poop on the floor. I mean, the animals weren't living in the house. Well, the dogs and cats were probably. But the goats weren't, I don't think. But again, you can't say it's not out of the realm of possibility with this family. She doesn't remember seeing any sign of food in the house. Any dishes in the sink. The former neighbors say they never saw the mother of the children pregnant. But when the couple moved in, they had about eight kids. By the time they left, they added a few more. Now, Ashley is the one who was playing with these kids when she was young. Her mother, Shelly, talked about a strange encounter that she had with the Turpin kids that ultimately ended their friendship. The kids rarely came over to our house to play, but she says one day when they did come over, I asked them their names. Normal, simple question. Hey, I'm, I'm Ashley's mom. Shelly, what's your name? And one of the girls says to her, I can't tell you our names, but if you listen, you might be able to find out what our names are. And then the little sister said, don't say anything to the older sister. At first, she says, I thought she was joking, but later realized she wasn't. At that point, 
I thought something strange was going on over at that Turpin house. Something strange in the neighborhood, I'm telling you. And she didn't do a damn thing about it. Your wife would totally do something about it. Ah, well, she's a manda- she's a mandated reporter now. But before she was a mandated reporter. Uh, if a kid came over, one of your, your she, daughter's friends, and she said, Hi, I'm Shannon. What's your name? And she's like, I can't tell you. Well, here's, here's At least what it's would worth happen. a phone call. Here's, no, but you could do it. You don't have to do it through a phone call even. You could gather more evidence. You could spend some time with the neighbor. You could knock on the door every once in a while. Hey, do you have an egg I could borrow? I'm making, yeah. I don't know, brownies, and I ran out of eggs, and I don't want to go down the hill to the store. Do you have any dark chocolate? I'm making treats for Blake. <laughs> yeah, there's ways to poke in on your neighbor without, you know, calling 911. There was one point where Ashley says that she and her mom noticed that there was a big double wide parked out in the backyard. Like it hadn't been there before. Big trailer out behind the house. And that the family moved out of the house into this double wide that was parked in the back. And she says she believes the house that they were living in was so full of dog and cat and goat and people crap. That they couldn't live in it anymore, so they had to move out. Now, to give you an idea, and then, and then of course, they got booted out of the house and off the property and moved to California. To give you an idea of the condition in which they left that house, the guy who bought it, the guy who eventually came along and bought it, said that the agents who were showing it had you sign a hold harmless agreement before you set foot on the property. Wow. Because it was so gross and in such disrepair There were portions of the floor that had rotted away, and it was full of the fecum. All right, and it was on the walls. It was there's feces on the walls. Yes. Now listen, we were talking a little bit about this before the show in the office. This is kind of the part of the story that you you can't understand. I can fathom in my head in a dark corner parents that or people that have kids and then torture them. I can I. I can see that that is probably a reality for some people. It's still going on today. It's still going on today somewhere where parents have this thing where they want to control whatever happened in their life. They didn't have control or whatever screwed up relationship they had with their parents, whatever. And they want to torture their kids, one or two or all of them. I the starving of the kids, but the fact that they were all living in all of the fecal matter and the urine and all of that. And I'm just wondering, I'm, you know, and the kids were starving, so they probably weren't having regular movements, movements, right? but still to live. I mean, with this, this account of the Texas home years ago that there was, you know, when they had already moved out, there was still feces on the walls and the carpet. You could tell people were pooping on the carpet and everything. How do you live like that? Cause that's not only torturing your kids, it's torturing yourself as well. I mean, these people were still feeding themselves. They were taking care of themselves and those needs, but they also had to live in this mess. You said this to me yesterday. You're trying to ascribe normal brain function to these people. Yeah. It obviously doesn't exist. Yeah. It's obviously not there. It's I mean, just, Chris's description of them sitting in court, clue, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Acting as if it's a normal day for them. Yeah, there's severe mental illness going on with both of them. Or he's a psychopath and she's severely mentally ill or something. I don't know. All right. Uh, this is a story that there. I don't expect a lot of developments out of Paris. That probably the first time that we, we won't have major developments over the course of the day. But we'll keep an eye on it. There's a bunch going on. The, the shutdown about whether or not we're going to see a, a showdown over the shutdown. 
Some interesting developments on that that we'll get to in just a couple of seconds here on KFI. Gary and Shannon. was so white. How white was it? How white was it? So white. The version of TLC Waterfalls that we played on the air did not include the rap verse. Oh, no. Of course not. (laughs) That was how terrified, apparently, people were. I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember that I would get ready to sing it and Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be there. It's like a musical interlude. It's just, here's the bridge with no left eye. What? All right. Gary and Shannon. I can't believe they even played that song on your Whitey White Friday. station. <laughs> right, it's January 19th. Uh, we are a little bit later going to be talking about the latest the latest Me Too edition. Um, the L.A. Times publisher is now under investigation for some past alleged misconduct. And the L.A. Times is just falling all over itself to tell the story. Oh. Look at us. We are so above. We are on our journalist high horse up here. We are going to tell the story of our publisher, the most powerful person at the paper. They're it's like, shaking, oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. They put a picture of a guy shaking a pitchfork. I'm sorry, a woman shaking a pitchfork out there. Ah, we're going to get him. And take one of those uh, one of those torches off the wall in that secret passageway in Staples Center and go after him. Um, oh, and Michael Douglas likes to take his thing out at work. Uh, or does he? Well, he just fondled it, right? He didn't take it out. Wait, like over the pant? I think so. Ugh. My God. I mean, I've seen somebody on this floor. Okay, now wait a minute. You're not, but it's not. <laughs> it wasn't fondling. for pleasure. No, it wasn't for pleasure. It was probably comfort at that point. Right. I mean, right. not and not comfort like, like, oh, this is it, comforting. It was like a dude Sunday morning on his couch with his hand down his pants. Yeah, and things that's were, exactly what it was. Things it, had but shifted, it was, but it was here. It was on this floor. It was pulling the uh, Al Bundy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't get it. All right, uh, let's talk about what's going on in. Um, well, which part? Which what, what are we going to talk about? You want to talk about the the shutdown? Well, let's talk about the secret meeting. Well, that's it's not really a secret meeting. The uh, the, the call the president made to uh, Chuck Schumer said, hey, why don't you come over? Let's talk about a deal. The, this is proof to me that the president doesn't want to have this on his hands. This is proof to me that he wants. I mean, it was so he several can say, years ago. I tried. I even talked to the Democrats. Well, the last time we had a government shutdown was uh, October uh, 2013. And at the time, then billionaire real estate mogul because he wasn't a candidate at all donald trump said hey a shutdown belongs to the president that's basically what he said this is the president's fault not congress it's the president which he also said that the president golfed too much right well he did say that yes (laughs) so he's reverse course on a number of things so i think what we're doing is we're seeing him trying to get out in front of this and say listen i'm doing what i can this is now in congress's uh, this is in Congress's hands. Here's what I don't understand about it. It's just another punt down the road. For a few it's weeks, not like yeah. they have to agree on a long term spending bill, which they should be doing. But it's just a punt. 
if they can't agree on a punt, that's a problem. Well, and I, I still stand by this. I mean, there's a bunch of people with their hair on fire on TV who are saying that it looks more and more likely that we're going to have a shutdown. I still don't think we're going to have a shutdown. We still have, what, 14 hours or whatever it is before the government technically, and even technically it doesn't shut down, portions of the government, some government workers won't get paid. It's probably the best way to put it. The all-important stuff will stay up and running uh, as it will. The House passed a version last night, 230 to 197, that would do some things, for example, that the president wanted. It would extend that health care for children, the CHIP program, for six years. It would also delay a couple of Obamacare taxes on medical devices that have been incredibly unpopular. But what it doesn't do is address DACA or disaster relief, and the Democrats want that in there. Now, and they have, I mean, I think they make a point, but the problem is the president has expressed that he is ready to do something with DACA. He is ready, and I think he would be supportive of a plan to extend the DACA protections. The, the Democrats do not trust him. And I wonder if that was at least part of the discussion today with Chuck Schumer was, listen, Chuck, you and me, we go way back. Let me tell you, I promise you we will get DACA on the table, but we've got to get this continuing resolution in place so that we keep the government open. Why would you trust him? Do they have a reason to trust him? I don't know. And Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan aren't making any promises. No, in fact, all Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer have done at this point, since this is now stuck in the Senate, is trade barbs back and forth about whose fault this is. And the problem with that was, that was very loud. loud. I know, and I didn't even bring my lunch. I didn't bring any lunch. So we're going to have a lot of rumbles. I did bring popcorn. There's candy back there. I did bring like, popcorn. I've made those. I, I can't just eat candy all day. That is a lie. Yeah, it is. But if Chuck Schumer goes to the White House and has some sort of a a breakthrough with the president, I think that's a significant move. And it's a positive tick in the president's uh, in the president's column. There's a stakeout. They're waiting for this meeting to be done. So there's microphones and everything set up and ready to go uh, with Chuck Schumer's meeting once he walks out of that. But, you know. The, the thing is, if there is a government shutdown tonight, if by we don't have an agreement by midnight Eastern time, it's a Saturday. That's, it, that's significant because the full effect wouldn't really hit until Monday when all the federal government offices would be scheduled to reopen anyway. The last time we saw a government shutdown, it lasted a couple of weeks, and in fact, it was on a Tuesday. So there was a more significant and dire deadline. If they don't reach a deal by midnight Eastern, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan have said no one's leaving town. We're not going away for vacation or our weekends away. We're going to stay here until we get a deal done. All right. Coming up next, Stormy Daniels, an adult film star, details her affair with the president years ago. It's It kind of puts you in a fly on the wall type position listening to her detailed account of their exchanges. It's It's not... It's not a bad story about the president. I mean, there's the whole part of the I mean, there's the the porn star while you're married thing. There's that. That's a problem. Okay, so there is. But I assume that this guy ran around on his wives because he's so rich and powerful. And that's just what those guys do. So it was kind of like, well, you knew he was going to cheat on him. But now you're hearing the details of how that went down. She's got a lot of details. Gary and Shannon will continue. 
Shannon. More bad flu news coming up after the top of the hour. Also, living in the backyard, the new trend in California. We'll talk about that as well. Keep an eye on D.C., see if the president and Chuck Schumer hammer anything out. And we also need to get to the story about the Las Vegas shooter and what's going to happen to his ashes. Talk about that coming up in the next hour. And we've watched this story about Larry Nasser, the Team USA Gymnastics uh, doctor who was just this disgusting piece of crap human being. Some of the victim impact statements uh, from the yesterday and Allie Raceman, who at one point was told she wasn't going to be able to give a victim impact statement because it would have violated a non-disclosure agreement. She gave her statement today. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Well, the, the Stormy Daniels story hasn't gone away, or I, it's resurfaced, I guess, is a better way to put it. The Wall Street Journal last week talked about how uh, one of the president's lawyers apparently used a private Delaware company to pay her $130,000 for her not to go public a year and a few months ago, right before the election. Although I don't think anything would... I. I heard someone on CNN say this. If the Access Hollywood tape didn't drown this guy's campaign, no, this, this isn't going to do anything. It's not going it's to, not. but it's still um, fascinating, I guess you could say. It's still interesting to hear the details of the affair. This all goes back to 2011 uh, when she did po- uh, she took part in a golf tournament, a charity golf tournament up in Lake Tahoe. Uh, well, no, this was 2006. Oh, the interview was 2011. Right. This was okay. uh, 2006 when, when they met, and she's uh, she's working in the gift room. All right, so let's just uh, let that soak in for a minute. They've right. got a porn star working in the gift room for all the rich golfers, uh, handing out gift bags, which include adult videos. Anyway, you got to know how the other half lives once in a while, don't you? And it's gross. Um, but... He sees her at this golf course, and he's like, oh, I want to I come talk to you later. He kept looking at her. I want you, I want you to come talk to me later. Uh, all right. So he gets her number, and uh, he says, you want to have dinner? She says, sure. So he tells her to come up to his room at Harris, the top of the floor there, South Shore. Top floor, I guess I should say. And uh, she goes up to the room, and she's met outside by his bodyguard, Keith. Uh, Keith's always with him. Uh, that's how she would get in touch with him, by the way, when, when she got the number, it was Keith's number, not the president's private cell phone. And Keith says to her, oh yeah, he's waiting for you inside. She says she goes in, she was all dressed up because they thought they were, she thought they were going to dinner, but he wasn't dressed to go out at all. He was just lounging. And she says she, she remembers taking a jab at him. He was like sprawled out on the couch watching TV. And she says something like, um, Hey, does Mr. Hefner know you stole his outfit? Zing. She says he got all huffy, tried to play it off, and said something to the fact of, oh, I thought we would just relax here. So they go on to have dinner. They don't have any alcohol. She says she thought it was weird because he has a vodka brand, but no drinking. And she says she doesn't drink when she's working. She thought that they were having a a business talk, I guess. I don't know. Uh, And he starts telling her about, oh, you should be on TV. You should be on my show kind of thing. The Apprentice, right? And she's like, NBC's never going to put a porn star on The Apprentice. And he's like, I think I could get it done. They let me, they let me have a wild card pick so I can push through anyone I want to push through. So anyway, she, uh, she goes to the bathroom and comes back out, and he's on the bed. And he says, you know, why don't you come over here? And they start kissing, and then that leads to the sex. And she said to she she uh, thought was thinking in her head during the sex. I hope he doesn't try to pay me. You know, I'm not a hooker. 
And then she's like, well, I, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about hookers. It's just I've never done that before. I'm like, well, why would you have sex with Donald Trump then? She's like, well, he's an interesting person. I don't know why I did it. I still don't know why I did it to this day. Yeah, the interviewer asked, were you attracted to him? And her answer was, would you be? She said, I was more fascinated. I was definitely stimulated. We had a really good banter, good conversation for a couple of hours. I could tell he was nice, intelligent in his conversation. Did you think the conversation would have led to what happened? And she said, yeah. My game was all wrong, apparently. I mean, other than the fact that he could throw around hundreds of millions of dollars and not blink an eye. I think we're learning a lot of shortcomings when it comes to game. With this whole Me Too movement in the lines these guys use. Like, what the hell? That actually worked? Her, the big takeaway was also that it was boring. I mean, just she said it was nothing crazy. It was just one position. I can describe his junk perfectly if I had to. But that was it. Like, just a normal. Here's the thing. He has as much admitted to extramarital affairs. This, this isn't a thing. The idea that it's out now and that the lawyers may have uh, put together a payment, you know, this $130,000 payment supposedly before the election, just before the election so the story didn't get out. Also not a – I don't know anybody who would be surprised by any of this. But it does give this weird glimpse into this guy's life. By the way, he was also hanging out with Ben Roethlisberger. And in fact, at one point, he almost – uh, tasked Ben Roethlisberger with uh, acting as her bodyguard at one point. Like, hey, make sure you get you take care of her, walk her up to her room at the end of the night, which he did, at, I guess, at some party that they were at. So, just a weird... Anyway. Very weird story. Alright. The latest on the Me Too movement. The LA Times is now jumping all over itself to out one of its own and investigate the publisher who is now uh, accused of past wrongdoings, not currently, in past jobs. Well, and it's up to you whether this is wrongdoing. You be the judge. And do you, does it count as fondling yourself if you keep your pants on? Very important. Gosh, question. hard-hitting questions today on Gary I'm and Shannon. You. More of this next. Now is the time and wherever you are is the place. The Citadel makes it easier to earn your degree. By offering master's degrees, graduate certificates, and undergraduate degree completion programs that are entirely online. Flexible scheduling makes these programs convenient for working professionals. Online classes are held to the same high standards that consistently name the Citadel, the number one master's granting public college in the South. The Citadel. Online. On your time. Visit citadel.edu slash online. 